Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Colton Ryan to talk all about his series, The Girl from Plainville. And, you know, in, in being cast in this role, you've mentioned that the first thing that you did was to, to go online and to Google him and to kind of see what you could find on the internet in terms of research. And obviously you're playing a character where, unfortunately, the majority of, of the media coverage and the information that's out there in the public sphere is all about the end of his life. And, and what you're doing through this series is really bringing a lot of richness to all of the aspects of who he was and so what was your your process or your approach in creating him as a character and looking at the details that were out there in terms of research finding things that people said about him and the way they described him and then really kind of working to to bridge that gap and, and to bring all those layers and textures that speak to more than just this one moment in his life that we know about wow let's jump start my heart in okay um <laughs> <laughs> no, um, th obviously, you. thank you for um, listening to what I had to say already about it. So, um, yes, that is true. The first thing that happened to me when I when I first got the job is I, you know, naturally just kind of just Googled. It was very, you know, it was very um, meant to be a very simple uh, activity. And then it became the most informative thing of 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 why I was doing the part or why I was going to go down there to Savannah for six months and, and, and get to know this guy. Um, because yeah, like you said, it, I, I pulled it up and the first thing that popped up was his Wikipedia page. And it's not really his Wikipedia page because most people get, you know, just their name. And the title of the page was death of Conrad Roy. And it just hurt me in such a way that I was, and was really informative about, why people are still so hung up on this and why people are, I don't know. It just, I just found it interesting that more people were interested in his ending than the rest of, of who he was, which as I had the privilege to get to know was, um, well, was a lot of other things. I mean, it was, a, it was very, a very fully experiential person, someone who was really like, you know, and so, so to answer your question, it's kind of twofold because that became my personal mission statement when I got there was just every frame I wanted it to be about reminding people that this boy lived a very full life. Um, and the other aspect was, well, damn, how did we get here? I mean, he, he really sort of shocked people, even up to the end, really shocked the people closest to him. and. I feel like in the conversation around sort of mental health, um, the buck has kind of stopped at a certain point of just showing people hurting. And, you know, I was very supported. I was, we, we got to meet with, you know, American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. And I worked with, with a, um, a social worker as well, personally. And I just was really trying to tackle something I think you, um, thankfully, thank you, really astutely um, recognized was just the sort of perf hmm. the performance aspect of of mental health of dealing with with some, some something so heavy it was really interesting to me that hmm. it was really interesting to me that there's a deeper desire to hide hurt like we're, we're at this place in, in culture, which is like, oh, destigmatize mental health that we talk, we should be talking about all the time. And yet 
there is still a deeper desire to hide it still. And I just thought that was a more interesting question. And I was, I was trying to say, how can we achieve this through image? How can we, what does it actually look like day to day if you're dealing with this kind of heaviness? And we talk in the doctors at, at, the, at the foundation and say, well, it can't look like, I know it doesn't because it, just like Coco and like a lot of very unfortunate situations, people who, who love people through these things, like still get shocked by it. So don't know it's happening. It's happening right under their, under their nose, you know? And um, yeah, so I was just, I wanted to sort of attack it from that of being like, okay, well, beyond just the sort of like, luckily this, the writing is so lovely, but beyond the sort of like watching first love and first courtship and, and first heartbreak and first hookup and, you know, all, all, all the stuff that comes with just being a boy, there was this other layer to it, which was beyond just experiencing these things full face value how are they also hurting and how are they also um, and how is he hiding it, hiding that hurt? Mm -hmm. I mean, to that point as well about, you know, what are the aspects that are on the surface and then what are the aspects that you're hiding? There's a lot of subtext to your performance and there's so many moments of, of things that he isn't saying out, out loud. And, and it's interesting because in this particular case, we actually get to see a lot of those facets in the words that he says to Michelle, because that's the one person that he's talking to about mm -hmm. a lot of these things. Um, and so how did kind of going through a lot of the conversations that he was having at the time with Michelle and, and reading all of that, that text back and forth between the two of them and the scripts really inform a lot of the subtext that you're then bringing to moments where it's like, you know, him and his mom and you're playing with Chloe Sevigny. And, and those are the moments where he's really kind of hiding it and not being forthright about it because he doesn't have the words within that dynamic. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's where the writing of the show is. Um, obviously I'm biased, but I think it's extraordinary because it's, it's all leading towards this, this thesis of like, look, it's actually true. I mean, a lot of those texts that we pull for the show are verbatim. I mean, they're, they're note perfect of what actually was shared between these two young people. And upon deep diving into them, I mean, we obviously can only show so many on screen. These, these two people were sharing what feels like, I mean, it couldn't be any more vulnerabilities with each other there's, I mean, I just can't imagine there's any way that they were sharing them with other people because of just how deeply intimate they were. And for that reason, you can't discount them and you have to like really take them into, into account as sort of like as, as Bible. I mean, these were like real, very personal, intimate things shared between these people. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I think the show works so brilliantly because you get to see those played out almost in this, well, obviously very dramatized in the same place, physical space sort of way, but also in this interesting sort of showcase of id, of like, you know, when people share themselves online, I feel like what I learned mostly from this process was that it's, it's really, it's very impulsive. It's very, there's no editor when you're sending a text because you have, because when seconds go by without responding, that, that says other things, it's other meta communication, right? So you send things like just as quick as possible. And it's, it's, it's it. I mean, it's like truly like it's the, 
it's the realest, rawest part of your emotionality. And so, like I said, we were bolstered by the script where we could actually show those things. And I mean, luckily also we were acting with, you know, Chloe Sevigny and all those greats. So when you came into those other scenes, a lot of the heavy lifting had already been kind of done. And then we could get a little more interesting through image of like, okay, well, how is this actually landing? Knowing what we know about this young guy or what we know about her, how is this actually playing out more interestingly in the day to day? How do we accumulate to get to this terribly tragic moment? I mean, you're talking there about the the text conversations and what we're seeing in the show is really taking verbatim the conversations that the two of them had with each other. Was there something interesting about working with dialogue and working with text that's so truncated but so full of richness in terms of what they're saying? Because obviously text message conversations are brief. You know, there's character limits to, to what they're typing to each other. And sometimes they're just expressing themselves in a matter of a few words. And so was that were there any interesting aspects that came with working with dialogue that's always written in that form and it's never, okay, you've got a half page monologue where he's really going to reveal everything. Right. Well, there were those two. I mean, like, I think there was, it was a good balance, but yes, I mean, it, it honestly was more, um, <laughs> it was more eye opening about how I personally communicate with my phone. Cause I mean, one of the moments I find like the most thrilling of those text fantasies is like later in the, in the series, it happens kind of a couple of times, but one particular where she camera pans back to me and I, I kind of looks like I'm about to maybe share something. And then she says, I hate when you do that. I hate when you do the little bubbles and you try, you start to text and you, you delete it. And it was, I mean, even watching it back, it was so thrilling to be like, that's funny. That's what the receiving end of that actually feels like is someone just withholding themselves. Like I said, there's so much other subtextual communication that happens online that um, unlike a lot of subtext lacks nuance it's only taken at face value and so playing the scenes of those were really just like so freeing and fun because you do something like this and it's very it's very grounded and naturalistic and then you get to go into these fantasies that um well i won't i won't give away what all of them they do but they they get pretty um uh pretty wild uh they have no limits but in the sort of playing out of those texts, it it expanded not just with like delivery with voice, but also like the way we staged the scenes were when you're texting and one moment you're sharing deep, vulnerable truth and the next goes, you know what, I'm going to actually, Cal- I'm going to go to California. There's these huge, this huge disparity. Um, there, there's no, the, the waves are just crashing a lot higher and a lot lower. So it was really thrilling as an actor to get to, to figure out, oh, well, okay, how do you actually bridge that? It's not simple. Um, it's also not, it's not good writing. You know, it's not, you can't, it's not actually, um, oh, it makes sense. I say this, which gets me to there, it gets me to there. It was just high, low, high, low. And that was really freeing and really helped understand a lot more of like why they felt this, this deep need to, to do so, to, to express and the only way they had was, you know, through the phone. Yeah. And with what you're saying there about those, those kind of like fantasy sequences where they're having conversations and, and they're all kind of very different approaches. That's where the show really brilliantly answers the question of how do you make two people texting each other visually dynamic on screen? Right. Um, and you and Elle kind of, 
watching each of those moments throughout the season is interesting because they're all tonally sometimes a little bit different in terms of what's the approach. Sometimes it's about her character's romanticism that she's building up in her head. And we're seeing that played out with the two of them. Sometimes it feels like for your character, it's about, you know, having a moment where he's having a conversation and feeling like someone's really listening to him and hearing him in a different way than he gets in his day-to-day life. Um, And did you have any conversations about the tonality of those scenes and what they needed to be? Or was it very much about just making those choices that grounds it through the realism of your characters, even though they are a fantasy element at the same time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I, I do think it was both because there's a technical aspect to the fantasies, which was very important from, I think everyone felt like, okay, this is a device that we're going to have to implement throughout the show. So um, it's actually funny, the very first one we do, which is in episode three, uh, we it was the first day I ever met Elle on set. We, we shot that night and it was like a three pager. Um, and not only that, it's not just the words. It's, it was about technically, how do we execute this in a way that sets us up for success down the line? Um, and, I, and I think it came out really well. And I think it is, it, it does make sense as it, as it keeps coming back up. But to your other point, like we actually still had to confront the words that were, that we could not change each time. And as you've seen from the show and can imagine it, they accumulate. There's a very accumulative effect, obviously, because we're building towards um, this thing that we know to be inevitable. And so, yeah, I mean, it was thrilling because that first one really opened Pandora's box of sort of going, listen, there's no way to justify these beat to beat moments. Like you want to go to actor school of it, like in texting, it's actually sort of the perfect acting exercise because there is almost no subtext in the words There's subtext in the, how it's received, but the way you are, the way you communicate in text, or at least what I think and I've found is that it's purely based on your own needs. You're only viewing, you're only receiving text. You're only sending text. on based on like, I need something right now. I need connection right now. I need you to tell me I'm pretty or wanted. And I need you to laugh at this thing or affirm me. And as an actor, that's, that's great. Cause that's literally when you're doing your, your little Uta hog and stuff in school, that's like, okay, well, what is the need you need from me? What is the thing you need from each line? And so, yeah, it was like, once we were given that freedom, I mean, that level of like, all right, be as expressive as possible because that's what these kids were doing. I mean, that's what they, they all they were doing was expressing to one another at the, all across the spectrum of, of emotions. So as we got through them more and more, we would address obviously, you know, the syntax of each one and go, okay, well, what, what is it really here? Maybe it's actually like one of my favorite moments in the whole series, right? Which is not like any of the other fantasies is um, episode four. I don't want to give away too much, but we're on a, we're on a boat and it's after a very sad, um, I don't, like I said, don't give away too much, but something very, very sad happens that takes us there. And unlike the other fantasies, I mean, this is truly just, well, I, I take that back. Like the other fantasies, there's still raw emotion, but this one was very quiet. This one was, I don't think you fully know me yet. And I'm going to share a little bit more, um, 
And the only way I can do so is through this, this phone, through this screen right now. Anything else would probably be too raw, right? So yeah, we had to each one kind of come at from a different angle of like, well, what, what are they really saying here? We have it. We have the Bible and we have like, there's a, you know, if there's a test, there are kind of, there are somewhat right and wrong answers. We have them. So how do we serve them? Especially in a storytelling way, how do we accumulate them to make sense of going, okay, I see how this sort of Shakespearean tragedy, I I understand how it played out. Mm -hmm. And one of the other facets that I was really interested in, in what the experience was like for you in filming it and performance wise as well, how you approached it are the moments where you know, we get to see clips of of videos that he recorded of himself. You know, Mm. there's a moment where Chloe's character, his mom is sitting and watching a video where he's talking. Oh my God. Yes. The anxiety that he feels. Yeah. And they're really, really heartbreaking, but also, you you know, you're not playing off of anybody in that moment as well. And so you're really channeling all of that as a, as a singular performance. Um, And so how did you kind of find the emotional landscape of those moments when you were filming them? Like in particular, the like the video confessional thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that one was interesting because um, that was my third day of shooting. And um, I don't know if you know this, but those video confessionals are the only thing we as citizens have of Conrad's speaking voice, of his mannerisms and anything just sort of physically with his body. It's the only thing I had. So, of course, as you can imagine, um, in my deep dive, I watched those videos quite a lot. There are three of them, and they amount to about like 20 some on minutes of footage. And on my third day of shooting, we had to do all of those in about a, I think probably about a three hour span. We had a longer day. Um, and which was lovely because I got to sort of get it out of the way. And also I, it was well, not to get too sort of cosmic with the whole thing, but, um, but I will. <laughs> when, I, when we did that day, I was sort of still peeling off the Band-Aid. You know, I had done probably the most extensive research I've ever done with the character because I never approached a person who existed before. So I wanted to, I felt the sort of call to arms to do it right. And at that probably particular moment, I wasn't accepting myself doing it wrong. I was really, I was really worried about it. I was carrying a lot of weight. And um, for that reason, I used to watch those videos. Like before I go to bed, I would keep them on just and repeat. When I wasn't watching them fully presently, I was also, I was just listening to them for sort of what was the affectation of the voice. And it was like, it was deeper. And, and he had sort of a, 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 you know, like a sort of fry to, you know, quality to the voice, things like that. And so when I got there, I was actually, I felt really solid. I was like, oh, great. I'll just, I'll just pop it out. And about halfway through, um, well, this is a podcast. I'll tell the whole story. Why not? Um, just a personal note about me. I, I dealt with a lot of loss earlier in my life. And that day that we ended up shooting was by pure chance because of a push. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be, but it happened to land on the day that um, the anniversary of someone very close to me uh, passing from a very young age and uh, a parent. And so I'd watched this video like a trillion times, right? I'd watched it over and over. There is one section, which you already just mentioned about with Chloe. 
and uh, it's utilized in the show. Later in these confessionals, he talks about, I don't know what it would be like to lose a parent. I don't know what I would do because I, I, I want to be there for them. And, and all, all these like beautiful sort of like a lot of the stuff he says in the video is very profound sort of statements. And um, sorry, I get, get emotional just talking about it. But on that day, of course, I was already sort of a raw nerve and I was trying to get it right and all these things. And this is a true, true story. Fun fact. I had never heard that section of that monologue before I'd read it over. I had the sides. I'd read it over a million times. It had never, I mean, it's 20 minutes worth of material. You know, it's like seven, eight pages. It had never really registered on me. It also had never registered on Lisa Cholodenko or on Liz Hanna, anyone else in that set. It felt like that piece of him, of him had never existed before. It was sort of like Berenstain Bears, like someone had changed the timeline and like had made like a like a little a little pocket where it was like this just fits right in, but only today. And it was it was such a gift. It felt not to be too you know cosmic about the whole thing, but when I got to that section, I read it point blank while shooting, and it it broke me. And there was obviously a very vulnerable aspect to that part of the performance and and i'm really glad in, in the final edit they actually use it because it, it wasn't guaranteed but it felt like a gift i mean i i say this you know people probably rolling their eyes around me but like it felt like he was he was around you know and um and yeah i mean it felt like in a way as i got to know him more in the mischievous side of him it was a very nice it was a blessing to say like you don't have to do it all right and you really need to bring yourself a lot more to it because that's what you deserve you know that like you said there's a lot of there's a lot of life in that performance and that's what i wanted to do for him and i, I couldn't do that if i just try to nosedive into being like note perfect and yeah i mean it just that was long story short that really kind of set up the rest of the shoot as and you can imagine it was a very profoundly moving shoot after that point um and continues to be honestly yeah i mean and and in regards to all of that being about really trying to to find that truthfulness in him as a character right. you, know, you were you were mentioning at the beginning the the amount of research that you did for this it also sounds like you had an incredible amount of resources available you know there's Obviously there's media coverage, there's the court transcripts, um, you know, but even like Jesse Barron, who wrote the Esquire article that it's based on, sounds like Jesse was very available. Aaron Lee Carr, who, who made the HBO documentary as a consulting producer on it, right. you know, you've got the showrunners, the directors, and, you know, what were some of the spaces that all of that kind of collaborative team of people really helped you to fill in or find within him as character? Well, yeah, I mean, we, the support was there, as you just imagine, I mean, as you just um, listed it. And also each one of those people kind of bring a different lens. They kind of have a different entry point. Like in a lot of ways, the writer's room had nailed just genuinely like timeline. Right. And for that reason, also got really specific on the legal proceeding part. Now, obviously my character um, was not in, in, involved in the legal proceeding part and uh, Jesse is like has such a close relationship with the family knew some more intimate details and we also pair with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention 
And I also personally worked with a social worker. So I had that sort of healthcare sort of, hello, she's listening. Sorry. Alexa, please stop. I'm doing something. Jeez. Um, and so she's going again. Oh my God. Why are they always listening? Why are you listening? Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, the med. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I had I had an entry point from the judicial sense, from the the healthcare sense, from even a, a bit more of just um, an on the ground sort of how this affected the community and or family that sense. And for that reason, I felt like a lot of even being on set every day, I could check in with someone to be like, "All right, hold on. Is this is this twenty? Is this twenty twelve? Is this twenty? Like some days were just kind of." literally loopy because it was like okay yesterday we shot 2014 and today we're doing 2013 you know just actual keeping you your sort of head straight on that was there that was kind of simple but it further reminded me and i feel like what ended up becoming my role on the set is sort of like a, you know being a good six man on the team you know coming off the bench my my thing i keep needling and reminding um, was that, all right, sure, we can see this boy through the lens of the justice system. That's a very specific lens. In a lot of ways, it's a very, it's a very binary sort of, through every action, is it, is it good, is it evil, is it just, or is it unjust? Which, as we know from life, is just, especially the desire to make pieces like this, to understand things like this, is, there's just way more nuance in, in existence than that. So, same for the healthcare system. Obviously, there was a little more just on a, on a more general sense of like, okay, well, what does someone dealing with this sort of heaviness, what does it feel like? What does it look like? That was very important to me. What does it look like? But the thing that was the most important, and I think, like I said, I became sort of the champion of was, yes, but that's just, that's just one way of looking at someone's fully rounded life. And so I would try to kind of keep checking under the, under the, under the rocks to be like, well, what other fun facts? I mean, this kid is obsessed with J Cole with rap, like, and is always writing out raps. It's a very artistic thing. That's a very creative thing to do. It's hard to write every day and you would do it all the time or that um, other very strange fun facts, like that he ended up <laughs> sort of, I found this out kind of later, um, and it's quite funny is that he had a very slight uh, gambling sort of thing. He would, a game would be on, he'd be like, Hey, 20 bucks, 200 bucks. What do you think? Huh? And it, and it actually shows up in the show, but, um, but these are interesting, very almost idiosyncratic details about someone. Mm -hmm. If you just looked at them through that Wikipedia page, for example. Right. So yeah, I mean, we had a lot of support and I think also each one of us, really sort of came at it from like, all right, I brought my thing to the potluck. What are you bringing? And for that reason, I think, I think that's why it comes across as such like a, you get a blend of all things and, and it also doesn't, it doesn't point a finger any which way. It sort of just lets, well, I don't know. They just kind of met me and we're actually very encouraging and going, let's just show that, let's just remind people who this boy was, or if they didn't know, Let's help them get to know. Mm -hmm. 
and, and with that facet of him being such a, a blend of so many different things, one of the things that we see throughout the show consistently is, you know, we get to see your performance and everything that you're bringing to him. There's also so much of the show where other people are talking about him. You know, how does Michelle talk about him to her friends? How does she talk about him after he's passed? You know, what does his mom say about him? And so there's a, you know, there's always that, that element of creating any character in terms of what does, what, what are other people saying about them? But with this, there's so much of that in the scripts. And so when you went through the scripts and were kind of doing that version of a pass, what were the things that you really saw repeated in the scripts or repeated in your research that you really wanted to make sure that you captured in terms of him from how other people saw him and described him. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's hard because a lot of these people in the story obviously are real, but beyond that, when real people, as I've experienced in my life, deal with grief, they project their image of that person, you know, like it's not exactly the most reliable narrator of someone's actions. But in this particular case, um, it was really interesting to have, like you said, there's so many voices saying, well, this is who Coco is. I know this about him. And it felt like, honestly, even though they were all, they kind of ran the gambit of like, whether or not, to put it in such like a, a, a sort of binary way, like an angel or, or this like dark figure, right? All of it made sense to me. It all felt true because, like I said, we were lucky enough to have these like very vulnerable things shared in the text and in the court documents. And as I got to know him more and read, you know, these very personal, probably things that weren't meant to be shared. I don't know. It just felt like, hmm, how do I put it? There's one particular passage, it's not actually featured in the show, but it's a it's almost like a journal entry, right? And he he shares it with Michelle. It's it's public record now, I think. Um, but he explains himself, just like he does in the video confession, but almost in a more honest way that kind of ended up being like a North Star. But he explained himself as someone who felt like they should have been born in a different time, specifically the 1800s. And how life was simpler and it wasn't so about how you were, how you presented yourself. It was just about getting up each day and doing simple, good work and, and being contented. And it's this really like honest, honest assessment of also society. It's just like, it feels like a very, you know, if you're looking at society in a cynical way and I don't know, it just, that and other truths about him just, kind of made all the other ones make sense. And it, and it kind of also made it where it was like free to let other people describe their, their experience of Coco. And then you see it actually play out, whether it aligns with it or does not, which personally I think is a very thematically, a very interesting, cool topic to discuss in this exploration of obviously like a very specific loss to a community, to a family, that kind of grief. I don't know. I just think, I think it was a nice give and take and it didn't, it was nice because it wasn't a, 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 a sort of like pressure or a bog down like, Oh, well they said this thing about him because that probably was true to them in their version of the events. But like you said, you can see so many times in the show through image, especially bouncing off the text, how this, how this boy is actually taking in this information 
even if it's a joyous event, even if he's having joy, could it also be possible that there's a deep sense of, of not belonging or a, a hard crash, even with these moments of like being in the middle of a, a hundred people smoking, smoking joints at a party, having a good time. Could it also be true that that's the time where he feels very alone? And um, I think the other, it's just another device that people are talking so much about him that really helps inform the, sh I mean, for me, it was like, it was like, oh, thank you. It's such a great, a boon, it's such an easy way into this character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what you were just talking about in terms of, of what's going on underneath is, is what's so wonderful in your performance in this show, because you're really playing that subtext and all of the unspoken things and all of the things underneath the surface so brilliantly. So genuinely been such a pleasure to, to hear you talk so in depth about this show and congratulations on a really wonderful performance in the series. Thank Jeez, you so much. Thank you, so, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for the nice words. Woo. I'm blushing. <laughs>